we had a good time in prayer. We prayed for uh, divine healing. We prayed for um, uh, mental illnesses to be broken. We spoke to cancers and other issues. Uh, we called out several people before the Lord, and we believe that God's working. And uh, it's just good that we, we know that God is working and to provide healing for not just his people, but for all people. And it's God's plan for all people to be healed. And uh, we just have to get into position where we know that it's God's will to heal. And we've got to get into position where we believe that God wants to heal us personally. And that can be a hard thing sometimes is knowing and understanding that God wants us healed personally. Um, but uh, he does. He doesn't. He, he, there was, there, all through, we've been going through Matthew. This is our 11th week on looking at healings in the Gospels. And uh, we've not found one time that Jesus ever turned anybody away. Um, we did see a couple weeks ago where the um, Syrophoenician woman, uh, who was not Jewish, came to him. And he said, um, right now I'm here for the Jews because he was still operating under the old covenant. And uh, she said, yeah, Lord, but even the dogs, and she wasn't talking bound about herself. That's just how society viewed her because of her nationality. And she said, yeah, she, but she said, yay, Lord, but even the dogs, even the lowest of, of, you know, the dogs get to eat the scraps. You know, they, get, they, they take just the crumbs. And she said, Lord, that's all I need is a crumb. But she recognized him as Lord. She recognized him as Master. And, uh, and based off of that faith, Jesus allowed her to, uh, Jesus healed her. Actually healed her daughter, really, is what it was. And, um, and, and uh, so, so Jesus has never turned anybody down that's come to him. We've yet to see this, and we've looked at, uh, as of today, we'll be concluded with Matthew. And we, not only were we doing Matthew, but we were looking at the same accounts through um, uh, Mark and John, because very few, or I mean Mark and Luke, and uh, because um, uh, John has very few accounts of the same healings. Uh, John, the book of John actually um, lists... Um, other accounts of other healings that aren't necessarily listed. So we've largely, so we'll have made it all the way through Matthew, uh, or we'll go back through uh, Mark and John and make sure that we don't miss any that weren't covered in Matthew, and then we'll hit the ones that were in Luke. And then we'll be uh, done with the Gospels, and then we'll look at healings through the epistles and uh, go from there. So for tonight, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 19 Matthew chapter 19 uh, there's two healings left in the book of Matthew um, and it, it really doesn't give us a whole lot of information on these two healings there's not a huge listing that happens here um, so Matthew chapter 19 uh, we're going to pick up right here in verse 1 and it reads this way Matthew 19 1 and it came to pass uh, when Jesus had finished uh, saying or these sayings, he departed from Galilee. So we know that for a good year and a half to two years now um, that Jesus has been traveling in the cities, 
and into the towns. And he's been traveling, and he's been going, and as he travels into these cities and towns, he's going into the churches, and he's teaching. And after he teaches, he then, um, he's going to the synagogues, and after he teaches, then he does healing. But we also have learned that in this, uh, there were a lot of times that he was in between on travels, and the people, the masses, would come to where he was. They would come to his house. They would come to the, other, to the disciples' houses. They would meet him on, on the trail, really, meet him on the road. And he would stop and he would teach. And um, we saw that um, not only when he was feeding the masses, uh, but he didn't just feed the masses. Those were not the only miracles done in those meetings. Uh, he actually healed people in those meetings, and he set people free of demons in those meetings. Um, and that they were in those meetings for uh, two and three days when he fed them. And, uh, you know, how much, <laughs> when's the last time you sat in the church for three days and just got taught? <laughs> right? Never. Just sat there for three days and got taught. Um, but, but how much, you know, they, 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 they did that. And Jesus said, well, they've been here for three days. We can't send them away. Um, and that's what caused them to, to have the miracle to feed that many people. Now, we tend to think, and I, we're backtracking on this because the Holy Ghost is kind of leading me this way. Um, we tend to think that Jesus did all the feeding on his own faith. But I, I want you to stop and think about this. He had been teaching these people for three days, building their faith, building their faith. If you've got 5,000 people, just the men alone, and they're dead, wet wood with no faith whatsoever, do you think Jesus would have been able to feed them? No. Do you think Jesus would have been able to heal people? No. So there's a principle to getting uh, people healed, and that is you've got to get faith into them. And that's why we're on this journey is to get faith into us. So it said here, 19 verse, chapter 19, verse 1 of Matthew, it said, And it came to pass when Jesus finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee. So he had been teaching. He had been talking to people there in Galilee. And he left and came into the coast of Judea beyond the Jordan. And a great multitude followed him. So this was, so he had been teaching. He was ready to move on. He was going um, out of Galilee, he was headed into uh, uh, the, the region of Judea, which is part of Jordan. Um, and he's going in, and there's this multitude of people. Now, anytime the Bible talks about a multitude, it's talking about from three to 500 is the smallest number to several thousand people was a multitude. And so can you, can you imagine this? multitude of people, probably somewhere one to two thousand, maybe more, maybe five thousand. But, but can you imagine this group of people walking behind Jesus, following him? And how much do you know? Uh, there was probably a growing crowd. This was probably more and more people were gathering. And it says here, and it says, and he healed them there. He healed them there. Um, when you build a reputation that when you pray, people get healed, people will flock to you. And that's what was happening was Jesus was teaching and, and people were okay with it. And people were like, he's healing. 
and he's teaching, so let's go listen and let's go teach. Um, so one thing that I want you to pull from this is you need to be able to teach. You need to be able to teach. If you're going to get people healed, you need to be able to teach. Now, you can say, well, <laughs> Pastor, I'm not a teacher. <laughs> no, you're not. But the Holy Spirit on the inside of you is a teacher. You know, we've looked at in other services, we've looked at in John 14, it says that Jesus would pray that the Father would send the Comforter who would teach you all things. So if you'll learn to listen to the Holy Ghost, and you'll learn to let the Holy Ghost flow out of you, he'll give you the words to teach people how to be healed. And, uh, and so we have to learn to walk like Jesus walked and learn to teach so that we can heal. And a lot of times, and, and here's the deal, it doesn't have to, a teaching doesn't have to be hard. You can teach somebody that God wants them healed in about five minutes or less. You really can. Um, you can, you know, you can just say, well, do, do you know that Jesus went about, te about, he went teaching and healing? Oh, oh well, I know he went healing, He's, and you can just simply say, yeah, every time that Jesus healed, there was a teaching involved. Oh, so, yeah, I want to pray for you for healing, but first I want to teach you something. I want to teach you that the Bible says that I, a believer, can lay hands on you and that you will recover. You know, you've got to be able to take them to that scripture. You know, and uh, the best way to say it is it's in the last chapter. It's at the, it's at the end of the last chapter of the book of Mark. We, we can't, you, I don't remember the number. Just go to the back of Mark, go to the last chapter, go to the end of the chapter, and it'll be there. It says, if I can, if I can lay hands on you and that you, will be, and that you will recover. And they'll say, well, I don't know that I have the faith to be recovered. No, no, it says that if I, the believer, believe that I can lay hands on you, really, yeah. You know, you can just teach them that simple. And, and, you, and then you can say, well, over in Mark, uh, Mark 11, 23 and 24, it says that I can speak to a mountain of sickness, to your mountain of sickness, and I can believe with you and for you that that sickness will be removed from you. You can? Yeah. Yeah. And in Genesis chapter 1, it says that I'm supposed to have dominion, and I'm supposed to command, and whatever I command, it has to obey. In, in, uh, in John 14, it says anything that I, ask, that, that I ask or that I command in Jesus' name, that Jesus will do it for me. So if I command that sickness to leave, that sickness has to leave. Well, guess what? We just taught. And we just taught. Just that simple. We just taught. And so they can, oh, really? And, and so then you say, yeah. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay my hands on you. I'm going to command the sickness to go in Jesus' name. And I'm going to expect recovery to take place. You are? Yeah. In fact, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to believe for the miracle because Jesus said that miracles could flow through me, that I could do the same miracles that he would do, and even greater miracles. So I'm going to believe for the miracle. And, and, and well, I'm going to trust that you're going to get your miracle. But if it works out to be a recovery, how much do you know that's still a miracle? So, I mean, you can just teach just that simple. And uh, so it doesn't take a long time to teach. But I want you to notice here, it says, so he had been teaching now he's walking. People are following him, which means that most of them had been listening to the teaching. 
And then it says that he healed them there. Well, why was he able to heal them there? Because they acted on their faith. When somebody, when somebody allows you to pray for them, you tell them, now you just receive, like I'm handing you a gift, you just receive it. Well, they are, number one, they've allowed you to pray, so they're in the receiving mode. And then you pray, and then you just tell them, now just thank Jesus that you've received it. And, and then they'll just they'll receive it, and then you tell them to act like they got it. And they'll walk away. I mean, they'll walk away recovered. Now, let's go look at, now, the, the, the other accounts of this, we don't really learn a whole lot, but we understand where it takes place. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Cause I went, and, and I pay attention that he was in Galilee, and then he went to Judea by the Jordan, because that's going to help us to know that we're in the right place. So Mark chapter 10, and we're going to verse 1, right here in verse 1. And it says, and he, he, and he arose um, from thence and came to the coast of Judea by the farther side of the Jordan. So this is the same, he's in the same place. He's in the same place here. And it says, and the people restore unto him again. In other words, they, they had been with him priorly, and now they're back with him again. So this is, they followed him. And um, as he was once, um, he taught them again. So now we learned that he actually, because they were wanting more from him, we find out that, he, that not only did he stop and heal them, but we find out here he did exactly what I've just been talking about. He taught them some more because some more people had gathered up. So we know that this is the same place that he did this. Now, from this point, he began, they begin to, uh, the Pharisees and what have you that are there, begin to try to distract from what he's doing, and they begin to ask him about um, commandments of divorce and things like that. So how much do you know uh, the people took the service in a direction that Jesus wasn't taking it. And that happens and that happens all the time. So so there's not really a whole lot of information here. That's about all we know from Mark's account of this is he taught them again. So now let's go look at John's account. So now let's go look at John's account. Huh? In this situation we're going to to John. Believe it or not. Luke doesn't give an account of this one, but John does. But John does. So we're going to go to John chapter 10. This is one of the few places that uh, John's uh, testimonies of healings kind of um, jump in here. So John chapter 10. Give me just a minute. I want to look something up just super quick. Uh just to double-check myself, I just want to double-check myself in one area real quick before I tell you something that's not accurate. Thank you, Father. 
Yes, I am correct. Okay. John chapter 10, and we're going to pick up right here in verse 22. John 10, 22. And here, um, they were, there was a division amongst the people, what have you. And, um, well, let's back up to verse 19. Just We'll pick up where it talks about. It says, there was a division, therefore, among, uh, again, among the Jews for, for what Jesus was saying, because Jesus was correcting them again. And, uh, and it says, and many of them said, he hath a devil and is mad. Why hear ye them? The Jews were trying to get the other, the Jewish leaders were trying to get the Jewish people and the Gentiles to stop listening to Jesus. They were saying they have a devil in them, that he had a devil in them. Now, you can kind of get off on this a little bit because people will, because people will say, oh, they're a false teacher. They're a false prophet. You know, they did the same thing to Jesus. They're doing it to me. And that does happen to legitimate ministers, but it also happens to ministers that are false ministers. This is why you need the Holy Spirit to judge, and you need to look at the true fruits of their work. So, But they were trying to get people to stop listening, and they were accusing Jesus of having a devil. Isn't that amazing? Others said, these are not the words, or, or, and that where it says the words, that's that word rhema, so we could read it this way. Others said, these are not the Spirit's spoken words of him that hath a devil. Notice that there were people that had enough sense to say, listen, what Jesus is saying is not, a devil's not going to act and behave this way. And, uh, and, and then they said, can a devil open the eyes of the blind? So we understand that from this, that Jesus healed a blind, a blind man here because they, were, because they brought that up. And then it says, And it was at Jerusalem the feast of dedication, and it was winter. It was winter. So we know, according to Jewish custom, that the Jewish calendar starts in the spring. And that Passover comes right on the heels of the beginning. Uh, it, Passover starts on the 14th day of the first month of the year. So this is not far from when Jesus is crucified. This is just a matter of, of, uh, uh, of a short few weeks or maybe a couple of months before Jesus is crucified. And it says, And Jesus walked in, walked in the temple of Solomon's porch, then he came with the Jews round about and said unto him, How long doest thou make us to doubt if thou be the Christ? Tell us plainly. So, so he's there and he's teaching and they were like, just tell us. Just tell us, one, just tell us one way or the other. Just tell us if you're him or not. And Jesus answered them and he said, I told you. Um, and you believed not. In other words, Jesus said, I've already answered this question. And you didn't believe me. He said, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness for me. But you believe not because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. You have to be in the family to be able to have the Holy Ghost to discern. And so if, you don't, if you're not in the family of God, if you've not received Jesus as Messiah, 
then you don't have the Holy Ghost to witness, and therefore you don't you you won't be able to distinguish that this is the voice of the shepherd unless God gives you that uh, saving grace knowledge. And he said he and, and he went on and he said, but my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give on to them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Uh, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Uh, he said, my father, which gave, look at this, and my father, which gave me, or that, I like that word, I, uh, them is italicized to help us understand who he's talking about. My father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. So the Jews said, are you the Messiah or not? And Jesus got down here and he said, the Father God and I are one. I've already told you this. I've already answered this, but I'm going to answer it for you again. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. He answered their question and they didn't like the answer, so now they want to kill him. It's like, come on. And uh, Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my father. Which of those works do you stone me for? <laughs> He's like, I've been healing people. I'm walking on this road. Y'all are following me. I'm healing people. And now you want to stone me? He's like, what is this about? And uh, the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stone thee not. But for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. So they weren't upset about the good work. Even today, people receive Jesus for the good work that he did. But they'll turn around and they'll reject him going, well, who is he to say that he's God? Um, he's God? That's who he is to say it? <laughs> How much do you know? We'll get, we come under pressure. Well, who are you? Um, I'm the child of God. <laughs> I'm not Jesus, but Jesus is my big brother, and I have all the rights and privileges that he had <laughs> because of him and in him and through him. And Jesus answered them. He said, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods, little, little g gods? He said, doesn't even, doesn't, doesn't even your law talk about uh, you trying to make yourselves God? Like, why are you getting on me? Is that not what you guys try to do all the time? He said, if he called them, he said, if he called them gods onto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, say you of me, whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, uh, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the son of God? He's like, no, wait a minute. He's saying, y'all are all the time talking about being like gods, but because I said I'm the son of God, now I'm the blasphemer? He's calling them out on their own double talk. And he said, if I do not the, he said, if I do not the works of my father, believe me not. In other words, he's saying, Jesus is saying, look at my fruit. Look at my fruit. And then he said, if I, if I do, though you believe me not, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I am him. 
Therefore, they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. So again, he escaped out of their hand. Now, I, I failed to go a lot farther along in um, Matthew's account and in Mark's account, but after he healed, if you read down through there, after he de- after he deals with the with the um, divorce stuff, they get mad at him, and he ends up having to slip away because they're trying to stone him. It gets back into that. Um, but but let's look here in verse thirty nine. He said, "Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hands, and went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John." at first baptized, and there he abode. So that's where we see that all of this has taken place over there in Judea by Jordan. So it's not a direct word-for-word connection, but we can tell by where he's at and what's happening that these two things are connected. And uh, he said, And many restored unto him, in other words, they continued to follow him, and said, John did no miracle. But all things that John spake of this man were true. And many believed on him there. So the people that were following him were saying, listen, y'all believed in John the Baptist, and John the Baptist didn't do any miracles. But what John the, ba- but John the Baptist talked about one that was coming that would do these miracles. John the Baptist talked about one that would heal the blind and set the captive free and cast out demons and heal the sick and cause the lame to walk and all of this list. And they're going, this man does everything that John the Baptist said he would do. Um, and y'all believe John the Baptist. So, so, like, what's the problem? Now, this is really cool. I want to look at this next healing. I want to keep going right here at 11 because this is one healing. It's amazing to me. Uh, we know so much about the, what we're fixing to look at, but this is the only account of it in the Gospels. This is the only account in the Gospels. But the church as a whole talks about this particular healing a lot. Let's keep going because uh, John's writing continues. He said, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And then in parentheses he says, It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with, uh, with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair Um, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now, that's really interesting to me because that had not yet happened in this, in John, this is not how he, John had not gotten to that point yet where he tells about it. But he goes, this is the Martha that we're talking about, or the Mary that we're talking about. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And uh, there's some different speculation um, as to why John kind of inserted this here. But he just wants us to know which Mary we're talking about. And so we've got this certain man that's sick. His name is Lazarus. He's of Bethany. Now that town of Bethany was considered from from some Jewish history and what have you. Bethany was considered a um, what they would call a, a town or a community or a sect of Jews that were known to be poor and known to be sickly. And uh, so it's very interesting um, that if that's the case with Lazarus' family, um, then how did Mary have the spikenard to anoint Jesus' feet with? 
when spikenard, the, jar, the, the size of the jar of spikenard that she used had, was, was worth almost a year's wages or more. So it's very interesting that Jesus is visiting this very, what's considered a poor sect of Jews, and yet there was enough supply to anoint him with this very precious oil, getting, prepping him and getting him ready for burial. But uh, let's keep reading in verse 3. It says, um, Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, whom, uh, he whom thou lovest is sick. So in other words, Jesus and Lazarus, this man Lazarus of Bethany, were friends. They knew each other. They were friends. He said, he said uh, Jesus, you love him, and he's sick. And uh, when Jesus heard, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, a lot of people will take this scripture and they'll say, see, God will put sickness on you so that he can be glorified. Well, if you ask me, somebody's going to put sickness on their beloved friends, uh, that's not somebody I want to know. That's not somebody I want to be associated with. So Jesus, so that is not, that cannot possibly, that doesn't match the character of our God. So he cannot possibly mean that Lazarus got this sickness uh, so that God could be, so that God could swoop in and go, ooh, look at me. Like, I mean, that doesn't even make sick sense. Okay, well, Lazarus, I love you greatly, but I'm going to ask the Father to make you sick so I can swoop in and heal you. This is not the type of friend you want. <laughs> so what is Jesus saying? Jesus is making a declaration of faith. He said, this sickness is not going to bring permanent death. He's making a declaration of faith. He, he, because I, I, I have a feeling that the report that came to him was more like a panicked report. Mary and Martha sent me to you. Jesus, Mary and Martha sent me to you because their brother, their brother Lazarus, who loves you greatly, is very, very sick and is about to die. And Jesus said, oh, no, he's not going to die. In fact, instead of him dying, God's going to be glorified. That's really what he was saying. Jesus rebuked the report. What Jesus was doing was he was rebuking the report. And so when we get a report from the doctor about a loved one, we don't need to just automatically, because how much do you know? This situation would have turned out very, very differently if Jesus said, oh, that just really breaks my heart. I guess I need to get ready for a funeral. Do you think Lazarus would have ever come out of the tomb? No. Jesus got into faith. Jesus walked in faith and he stayed in faith. And he said, oh, no, we're not doing this. Um, when I got the report years ago about my dad having a severe pancreatitis, I didn't go, well, that's it. My dad's going to die. I said, I looked at my boss and I said, I got to go. I got to get there. I got to, I got to declare the word to my dad. I've got to teach him some things. I've got to preach to him. I got to lay hands on him so that the Father God can bring him out of this thing. See, when you go to somebody sick, you can, and you want them healed, you can't go thinking, well, they're probably going to die anyways, but I'll give it a shot because that's all you're going to give them is a shot. 
No, you got to go with faith. And that's what Jesus came with. And he, Jesus, this was Jesus saying, Lazarus is not going to die. In fact, instead of Lazarus dying, my father in heaven is going to be glorified by this thing. That's what Jesus was saying. And then he said, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, if you love somebody, that means that you're moved with compassion. So Jesus was moved with compassion. And it says, and when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. He stayed put. He did not get in a hurry. He didn't get in a panic. He didn't get in fear because Jesus understood he had authority over death in the grave. Jesus understood that the Father's report was higher. The other thing that Jesus did, because remember, Jesus had just been healing people. I want you to think about this. He had been in the churches. He had been healing. He left, which a lot of times when he traveled, that was his alone time to get built up, to pray, to meditate. And, and the multitude followed, followed him, and he didn't get any time for that. Because then he had to turn around and teach him again, and he healed people again. So Jesus took two days to fast and to pray and to meditate and get himself ready so that the Father could flow through him. Because I want you to notice that he said, and when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he did what? He abode. He, he abode. In other words, he got in one place. He got still. He got quiet. He spent time with the Father for two days. A lot of times we pray for people too fast. We pray too fast. Now, sometimes, I mean, it's an urgent situation and, and you don't have time. But if you've got time... Take time. Now, a lot of people will say, well, Jesus didn't have any time. Well, if he had traveled that day, he probably would have arrived when Lazarus was dead anyways. So take the time. So he had to take some time. He said he stayed in the same place where he was for two days. And then it says, and then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. In other words, they had to backtrack. His disciples saith unto him, Master, the Jews of late have sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? He said, Jesus, we just left out of here, and they were trying to kill you, and now you want us to go back? <laughs> it's like, hello. And Jesus answered. He said, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If any man walketh in the day, he stumbleth not. Because he, see, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walketh in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. Now that sounds weird, right? Uh, we're trying to go get to Lazarus. And you're talking walking in the light and stumbling in the dark and what have you. And what Jesus was saying was these people are blinded by the darkness of Satan. 
He said, but I walk in the light of God. I've got the wisdom of God. I've got the insider information. And God's going to show us just which way to go that we avoid these people that are trying to kill us. Is really what he's telling them. And then he says, these things he said, and after that he saith it unto them, this, he saith unto them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth. Notice he didn't say our friend Lazarus is dead. He said, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Jesus understands that when somebody's, leave, when when somebody's spirit leaves their physical body, they're not dead and failing to exist. They're just existing in a different plane. They're still, they're still, they are still very much so alive. And Jesus is trying to get this over to us. When our loved ones move over to heaven, they don't stop existing. Their body is just not functioning. So this should not be something that upheavals us. This should not be something that emotionally disrupts us. This is not something that we should grieve, ridiculous, just just get all torn up over. This should be a replay. Uh, this should be a system. Uh, 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 a time of rejoicing because they're not gone. They've just moved back to their heavenly home. This is a good time. And so he said, he said, there, he said, listen. So he's trying to, Jesus is trying to rearrange the, think, the, the disciples' thinking. He's trying to rearrange our thinking. The reason that death affects so, so many people so tragically is because they think of as physical death as the end. It's not an end. It's a brand new beginning. It's the beginning of eternity. It's a rebirthing into, into the very thing that all of humanity is looking for, and that's immortality. So, so this physical death is not something to be grieved over. Jesus said, listen. He said, Lazarus is not dead, y'all. He's not gone. He didn't just poof and that's it. That's all there is. No, he's still alive. His physical body is just asleep. And he said, he said, no, he's asleep. Then the disciples, or then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. And he said they should do well. Howbeit, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he, that he had spoken of uh, taking a rest and sleep. See, the disciples didn't get it. The disciples thought, um, well, we misunderstood. We thought he was dying, but Jesus says he's just taking a long nap. We just thought he's taking a long nap. And then Jesus said to them plainly, uh, disciples, Lazarus is dead like you thought. He's dead like you thought. He said, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. He, now that sounds weird. He said, for your sake, disciples, for your benefit, I'm glad that I wasn't there when Lazarus was sick. Why? Because Jesus wants to use this as an opportunity to teach us something. He wants to teach us something. And he said, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Because if he had been there when Lazarus was sick, he would have healed Lazarus. And they would have gotten no understanding of physical death. 
And he, so he said, yes, Lazarus is dead. He said, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent you may believe, nevertheless, let us go on to him. He said, I'm, I'm glad that this is playing out the way it's playing out because I want you to learn something. I want, to, I, want you to, I want to teach you something. I want to teach you something. And then, he, and then he went on and then he said, Thomas, then said Thomas, which is Didymus, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. This is good old Doubting Thomas. This is good old, this is Brother Thomas that has, I don't know why Jesus took Thomas. <laughs> Probably because we could all relate to him. <laughs> well, I mean, I believe in Jesus, but he's a little crazy and a little fanatic, and he's going to get us all killed. <laughs> Jesus, you're going to get me killed. How much you know when, Jesus, when, when, uh, when the Spirit prompts you to go pray for somebody, Jesus, are you trying to get me killed? Jesus, are you trying to get me, like, in a hot mess here? You know, I imagine, Miss, uh, Miss Kathy, I imagine when you were in Israel, because God prompted you to go, and you're out on these trails, and there's cows chasing you, and bombs going off 25 miles away, and there's this tension everywhere. I imagine she probably thought, Jesus, are you trying to get me killed once or twice? I'm thinking she's probably thinking that once or twice, like, I'm sure when she's out camping and there's jackals howling not far from her tent, she's probably thinking, why? Why, Jesus? Like, what is the point of this? Right? So he's like, we're all going to die. <laughs> then when Jesus came, he found that he, had, that he had laid in the grave for four days already. So Jesus got the notification that Lazarus was sick. And then, and, and then he took two days to meditate and get built up. And then it apparently took them a minimum of two days because Lazarus had already been, in the, had been laid in the tomb for four days. So, uh, so Lazarus had been laid up in there for a while. How much do you know by now? It's, it's not a good scene. <laughs> now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem about 15 uh, furlings off. So this was a good distance that they had to travel. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brothers. So they're in full-on wake at this point. The funeral is still going. They're coming. They're giving their death, you know, condolences. Like the whole, the whole you know, thing is in. They're in full-on funeral mode and uh it says and in verse 20 it says then martha as soon as she heard that jesus was coming went and met him and mary sat still in the house now once again martha and mary have two very different approaches remember because when jesus came to the house last time martha uh, uh, you know, Martha goes running to Jesus, and Mary just sits in the house. This time, Mary or Martha goes running to Jesus, and and Mary's there in the house. Well, later, I said that twice, but later, uh, Mar Mary is sitting at Jesus's feet, and Martha's all about taking care of Jesus. 
so Mary, you know, Mary's probably thinking, you know, what, what, what are we going to do here? You know, we don't know. And then Martha said unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. So Martha's all about getting in Jesus' face. She's getting in Jesus' face. Jesus, I sent for you and you didn't come. Jesus, why did it take you? These people are coming from Jerusalem and they're getting here and they got here before you did. And I sent for you before he ever died. Martha's all getting up in Jesus' face. Jesus, it's your fault that my brother's dead. But Mary was still sitting at the house. And and then she said this, But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. So Martha was distressed, but at the same time, she knew that their friend Jesus, the Lord, the Messiah, was not limited. And so she said, she was basically like, uh, Jesus, you have an in with God. Jesus, you have an in with God. How much you know, we all have an in with God too, because Jesus is on our side. And Jesus saith unto her, thy brother, so Jesus looked at her and said, thy brother shall rise again. See, Jesus, before Jesus ever even, before he ever even took the two days to meditate, he already made the decision on what the outcome was going to be. He made the outcome, he, he made the decision, thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again, look at what she said, in the resurrection at the last day. At the last day of this age, at the resurrection, the last day of this age that you're bringing in, Jesus, I know that my brother is going to rise again. She was fully confident. Yes, she was hurting emotionally because she missed her brother, but even Martha knew. Jesus had not, Jesus had not even been crucified yet, but yet Martha knew that her brother would come back in the resurrection. She knew it. And uh, Jesus said unto her, I am, look at this, I am the resurrection. I am. When your faith is in Jesus, when somebody's faith is in Jesus, he's the one that can bring you back to life. And he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And so Jesus knew that Lazarus believed in him, and therefore he was confident that Lazarus was not spiritually dead. He was not spiritually dead. Jesus raised Lazarus because Lazarus was spiritually alive on to God. Yes, Lord, I'll do that assignment. Thank you, Father. And uh, and the light, he said, shall have ever life. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me, look at what it says, shall never die. So even when the believer who believes in Jesus, when their physical body comes to, when their physical body stops and deceases from existing, their spirit has left it, they are still alive. It's impossible for them to die. 
because their spirit is, a sl- is still alive. Their spirit is still connected to God. They're still connected. Listen, when you come into Christ, you are still connected to the life giver. You're still connected to the life giver. And it's impossible for you to die. He said, believest thou this? So now he's asking Martha. Martha, do you believe what I'm telling you? And she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. She said, Yes, Lord, I believe you're the Messiah. She's got some faith in her that he can use. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. So she went, she went and got Martha, she, Martha went and got Mary away from all the funeral goers. She had to get, Martha had to get Mary into a better state of mind. Martha had to get Mary away from all the doubters and unbelievers. Mary had to get away from all the sorrow and all of the mental mindset of all of this. She had to get away from it, and, and, she, and, Martha said, and, and Martha said to Mary, the master, look at that, the master, the Lord, the king is calling for thee. As soon as she heard, she arose quickly and came on to him. All of a sudden, when she heard Jesus was calling, all of a sudden Mary went from sorrow and no hope to full of life, to full of hope, to full of vigor. She got up quickly. She arose quickly, and she left to go to him. How much do you know in that funeral uh, that caused some commotion? She's sitting there. Can you imagine she's sitting there in the, in the chair and everybody's coming and everybody's giving condolences. And here comes Martha and Martha whispers in her ear. And all of a sudden, Mary jumps up from her, from her seat and runs out of the house. Can you imagine what the, what the funeral goers are going on? They're like, oh my God, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Can you see this? And uh, so she rose up quickly. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town but was in that place where Martha met him. In other words, Jesus waited for Mary to get there. He waited for Martha to go get Mary and to bring Mary. What's he waiting on? The faith act. He's waiting on the faith act. If you're going to receive healing from Jesus, you're going to have to do a faith act. The Jews uh, then, which were with her in the house, confronted her. Then they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out and followed her, saying, She goeth on the grave to weep there. The Jews, who were wanting to kill Jesus, are now following Mary because they're thinking, Mary's going to go hang on the grave. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto the Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. She's, she's in full grief, just like Martha was. Um, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. In other words, he was now concerned that there was more grief than faith. 
there was more doubt and unbelief than faith. And so he went into travailing at this point for Lazarus. This is when what we in the modern time would begin to pray much in the Holy Ghost. This is when we would go into working in the Holy Ghost, pleading and praying the case. Jesus had to do the same thing. And he looked at him and he said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. He wept not because Lazarus was dead, because he knew Lazarus wasn't dead. He wept because he knew that the Father God wanted to do a miracle. He knew that the Father God wanted to raise Lazarus. He knew that the Father God wanted to restore their Martha and Mary's brother to them, but he knew he was up against such spiritual darkness, such spiritual grief. They were overtaken with their natural mindset um, that he, he wept because um, was there going to be enough faith available to get the job done? Then said the Jews, Behold, how he loved him. <laughs> he's weeping not because he's sad over Lazarus. He's weeping because he sees that Martha and Mary have lost hope. They've lost hope. Uh, and they've lost hope because of the people around them. Now listen, with the wisdom that we have today, if, uh, I, if I've sent for the Lord and the Savior to bring health and healing, um, I'm not going to call in the funeral party. I'm going to stay in the battle myself until the Lord tells me I don't have a choice but to let go. But they called, they sent for the Lord, and then they sent for the funeral party. And they sent for the funeral party because they had all the family around them because that was the behavior. Listen, if you're in the fight of your life for health and healing, don't let the doubters and unbelievers get in around you. Do not, do not, do not let the doubters and unbelievers get around you. I used to be an organ donor. I used to be. But I got to thinking about this thing. I got to thinking about, well, what if the Lord Jesus wants to raise me from the dead? What if God wants to do a miracle? What if God wants to do something? So I, so I took my little heart off my driver's license. Now, don't get all in a tizzy because I took care of it. I told my husband. I told my mom. I said, you both know the Holy Ghost. You make sure. I said, I, I said here's why I'm taking it off my driver's license. I don't want you to be under the pressures of the unbelievers. I want you to get alone, get by yourself, hear from God. And if God said, no, let her go, then do what you want. But if God said, no, I need you to stay in faith, then stay in faith for me and with me. Don't, don't just let it go. What am I doing? I'm putting a shield of protection around my family to keep the non-believers out so that they can hear from heaven. See, we've got to be careful about this. I, I've had to go to the hospital a couple of times, and when I go, I don't invite anybody and everybody. I don't. I tell they'll say, well, you know, what hospital? Can we come to this? Listen, if you so absolutely need to make a phone call, you can call Mom or Michael. They'll give you an update. But that's about all I say. 
I don't say, oh, yeah, please come to the hospital. Because I, if something goes wrong, I need my prayer warriors around me. I don't need my doubters and unbelievers around me. And that's what happened is they got the doubters and unbelievers around them. And so in verse 37, and it says, And some said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? So now they're questioning Jesus, trying to get Jesus into doubt and unbelief. And it just, you know, well, Jesus, I, if you can open eyes, that all of a sudden they've made this about Jesus and Jesus' power. Well, if you had just prayed hard enough, if you had just been here long enough, and this just how it works. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. In other words, Lord, this pressure is so much. And it, it, it was a cave, and a stone was laid upon it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Now, Jesus has already told Martha, your brother is going to rise again. And she said, yeah, I know the resurrection. He said, no, no, I am the resurrection I am the life. Do you believe that? She said, yeah, I believe it. So then he gets her to the, to the grave, and he says, okay, roll the stone away. And Martha goes right back. When Jesus needs him to work with her, she goes right back and says, um, Martha, the sister of him, that he was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. For he hath been dead for four days. In other words, he's been in, Lord, he's been sealed up in this cave for four days. He stinks by now. Now, that's a big thing because in their culture, not, I mean, yeah, the body's decaying, but they put all kinds of oils and ointments on them to help keep the stink down. But, and, and, what Mar, and to slow down the decaying process. And what Martha said is, Lord, this, he's been in this, in this cave, and it's wintertime, so it's not like there's been a lot of heat. So it's kind of like in the refrigerator. But even at that, Martha's like, uh, he, he, Lord, he's going to be stinking by now. In other words, she's struggling to have some faith. This is all on Jesus at this point. And Jesus saith unto her, Said I not to thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God. Jesus called her out on her unbelief. He said, um, hello, did I not say if you can believe? that you would see the goodness of God, hello? <laughs> then, then they took away the stone from the place where the, where the dead had, was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Jesus has been, intercession and been interceding for Lazarus coming back for days now. He's been in prayer and fasting for days. And talking to the Lord about it for days. And look at what he said. He said, Father, I thank thee that thou heard me. Not, I'm thinking perhaps maybe you heard me, but I'm giving thanksgiving that you heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. He said, Father, I have no doubt that you heard me. I have no doubt that you heard me. The biggest reason people don't get healed is because they doubt that God heard their request. But he said, no, Lord, I know you've heard me. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they might believe that thou hast sent me. He, in other words, he flat said, Lord, I know there's all this unbelief around me. But, Lord, I've made this request that they may understand who I am. 
and that you're the one that sent me. See, Jesus didn't raise Lazarus from the dead simply because Lazarus was his friend. He raised Lazarus from the dead for the purpose of honoring the kingdom of God. He raised Lazarus from the dead to show the unbelievers that he was who he said he was. God does not raise people from the dead just because we miss them. He raises people from the dead because they have a work to do for the kingdom. This is why not every person gets raised from the dead. There's a purpose. Every, when, when, uh, remember when Smith Wigglesworth raised Brother Butterfield? Remember in the church, he got, uh, he got Brother Butterfield up out of the casket and put him, cranked him and got him in his chair and said, Brother Butterfield has a word for us from heaven. Remember that? See, Brother Butterfield had something to do for the kingdom. The other man that he raised, he got it in the funeral. He raised another one out of a funeral, and, uh, and he told him to, he told him to uh, prophesy. In other words, that man had a work to do for the kingdom. And so Lazarus had a work to do. And the work was to prove, to help prove, because they wanted yet one more sign. And so this was to help him prove that Jesus is who he is. And when he, ha and when he thus had spoken and cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. You know, God, Jesus was just having a conversation with God. And now, in the prior statement, but now he's giving the faith command. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And when he, and, and when he, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Uh, in, in the Jewish culture, they're, they're dressed, they're draped with a very special cloth that's only used for burial. Their hands are tied, their feet are tied. They have a, a, a wrap around their head. So he was bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, Loose him and let him go. So here, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. They're standing outside the tomb. He says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus' legs are bound. His hands are bound. He's got a napkin across his face. He can't see where he's going. And yet, here he comes. What's he doing? He's listening to the faith command. He's responding to the faith command. And he said, and Jesus looked at the people and said, Loose him and let him go. When you come into the knowledge, when you come into Christ, when Christ heals you, he looses you and lets you go from the bondages of your sickness. Then he said, and then it says this, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. The whole reason that Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave was not for Lazarus' benefit. Lazarus was already home with the Father God. It wasn't for Mary and Martha's benefit because they knew they'd see him again. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead for the benefit of those that did not believe. That's why he was healed. 
Jesus heals today, not for our benefit. Listen, if we check out of here today, it's a win for us. He heals because it's a testimony that God is alive, that God is the healer, that God is the Savior. That's why he heals today. And so when you allow God to heal you, you're a walking testimony for the Lord Jesus. Miss Bridget is a walking testimony. She has medical documentation proving that she had, had, had MS. Doesn't have it anymore. She's not on any medications for it. She has no symptoms for it. She, she doesn't have it in any way, shape, or form, but it's on her medical records that she clearly had it at one point in time. I have medical documentation that I used to have uh, tunnel vision in my right eye. It's not there anymore. Jesus healed it. We have, uh, we have uh, medical documentation that Michael's foot was once in bad shape with a chainsaw, and his foot is well and whole and functioning. He only had to have one surgery. They said he'd have to have two or three. His toe would have to be short, and he'd walk with a cane all the days of his life, have to wear special shoes, and was 100% guaranteed of getting an infection, and none of that happened. Kathy's a walking testimony about how uh, her, her levels all died, went crazy, and she about died on the mountain, and they brought her off the mountain on a helicopter and were like, I don't know how you're making it. And she just went and hiked Israel for five weeks, walking testimony of the healing power of God. And there's many, many more in here. Brother Richard healed of Parkinson's. Yeah, the manifestation's still taking place, but we can literally see the improvement. We can literally see it. It's a lot better. Yeah, he's not hardly ever shaking at all. His speech is clear. His arm is moving. He's functioning. He's healed. Healed. Absolutely. Well, the doctor, well, you go to the doctor, and the, the doctors will figure it out eventually. They'll catch up. They'll catch up. We know we've got the answer. We know we've got the victory. Come on. We've seen it. We've healed it. We've seen it. We've seen, several of us have seen a little girl get a pacemaker. How old was she? A couple weeks old? A couple weeks old, good pacemaker. Told she'd have it all the days of her life. And I've held her pacemaker in my hand because her heart's perfectly healed and whole. Perfectly healed and whole. And I've held her pacemaker in my hand because supernaturally her heart started beating without it. And so the pacemaker wasn't even being used. And somehow the battery just died. Wasn't even being used. It wasn't a somehow, it was a someone said, that thing's not working, get it out of her. Yeah, she's active, she plays sports, she lives a happy, healthy life. She's got it going on. So Jesus is the healer. Now I want to go to one last verse in Matthew so we can finish this. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. Y'all didn't know that that was about the time that Jesus uh, set Lazarus free, did you? Right there about winter time, just a few weeks before uh, he goes to the cross. Matthew 21, one verse. We're going to look at one verse. This is the only account of this. It doesn't show it anywhere else at all. Um, this is right after Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He rides the donkey into Jerusalem. Rides the donkey into Jerusalem. Uh, he uh, takes a whip to the money changers, gets them all out of the gets cast them all out of the temple, 
flips over the tables, verse 13, uh, Matthew 21, 13, and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Look at verse 14. Everybody talks about how Jesus flipped the tables. Why don't you talk about what he did next? And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. He got the sin out of the temple, and then he sat down, and he healed the people. He healed them. This was just days before he went to the cross. Just just days before he went to the cross. And he's been healing people ever since. And he does it through the hands of the believers, through the prayers of the believers. So we've seen all through Matthew, we've picked up a lot of Mark, we've picked up a lot of Luke um, about his healing power. We've, we're starting to see a few things in Luke here. I mean, in um, John here, a few healings. There's some more healings that we've not seen in the Gospels yet. But not one time has God ever rejected anybody that truly came to him from healing. But every time he has required an act of faith. Every time he's required that, that the person that needs healing or the person believing for healing on the behalf of someone else, every time they have to do, they have to give a... a, a um, an act of faith. Well, does that mean that you have to basically buy your healing from Jesus? No, it has nothing to do with that. But God is a faith God, and he wants to, he needs something tangible. He requires something tangible that he can look at and go, they trust me. They trust me. And if you'll give God that, if you'll step out and just say, Father, I trust you, he'll heal you every time. There's no limit on how many times he'll heal you. There's no limit. You know, a lot of people say, well, God's miraculously given, miraculously healed me three times, so that's it. I guess I'm at my limit. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. There's no limit with him. He just, he'll heal you and send you on your way. When you get a boo-boo, he'll heal you and send you on your way. If you'll just lean on him. Well, if you've got an offering you'd like to sow, we're going to do that here. Um, if one of my ushers will come, serve the people, we'll get this all taken care of. If you're writing a check, you can write it out to DHM if you're giving online. Uh, you should know how to do that by now. Uh, if you're online and you don't know how to do it, you can go to discipleshouse.faith or you can text and uh, go from there. But praise the Lord, we love to sow in the house because uh, God's so good to us. We don't put any pressure on anybody. We just sow seed, and God blesses us so we have more seed to sow. Father, we just give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise. Father, we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. And, Father, we glorify you. We magnify you. We thank you for all that you are and all that you do. In Jesus' mighty name. Satan. We put you in remembrance. You've been commanded to take your hands off the finances, so you do it. Angels, we've commanded you to go and cause the finances to come, increase to come, so do it. And, Father, we thank you that the word is true and the word is working in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we thank you for divine increase in Jesus' name. If you're online, we encourage you to make plans now.
to be available to join us online or in the house when the Keatons are here. Uh, because they have a special anointing uh, for healing. Um, they've had a lot of creative healings take place in their ministries, um, both in-house and through online medias. And so, you know, you can come in any time, but, but, but set your schedule so that you're available to join us online for that. And on that note, we are dismissed, and we'll see everybody Wednesday night at 7.